Well, today we have a very special guest. We're excited about it. Um, man, we haven't hung out in a minute, but for those of you that have been with us for many years, our former bass player for Cutlass, Dave Lucky Lutkenholter. Lucky, welcome back. Welcome wow, to the wow, podcast. Wow. Yeah. Hi. I feel like I can hear the applause. Ah. The crowd goes Yeah, it's good yes. to be back. Yeah, good to be good to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you first, look great. Those are cool yeah. glasses. Thank you. Thank you. We all look older. Where'd you get those happens? glasses? <laughs> these are these are an online special. Warby Parker. <clears throat> I legitimately Excellent. when people what a ask great me, company. Well, yeah. yeah, you know they are pretty great. I well, I don't know much about them, but I do know that <laughs> maybe they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've not looked into <laughs> it. Um, but I assume they're great and they're certainly probably better than other eyeglass companies we could choose. Ah, hot take. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Yeah. So, uh, lucky, where are you today? Where are you living? Tell us about your family and kind of give us the update. It's been a few years since you've been in Cutlass. So tell tell us kind of where you've been, what you've been doing and yeah, the update, give us the update. Yeah. Well, I'll make it quick because we've done we've done quite a lot we've moved (laughs) we've moved a handful of times currently living in mckinney texas which is kind of like a small (laughs) like old town with a town square and it's beautiful and stuff and we yeah uh, before being here we were in we were in downtown portland for a while also and um had moved with the intention of kind of simplifying as much as we could. And one of our goals was how do we do life, church, family work in as small of a space as possible. And Dallas, Texas is not conducive to that. (laughs) McKinney's closer. (laughs) Yeah. But I, ironically, when we lived in Mm. Portland downtown, we had, probably the slowest pace of life we've ever had living in the middle of the city because we could walk to the grocery store. We could, Mm. we never drove our car. We would just, we would walk to a playground. We, I walked to work. I worked at a church there. And, um, and when we were coming back here to be near my wife's family, Meg's family, obviously you guys know her. Not everybody does, but you guys do. Yeah, we do. Mm. Uh, (laughs) We we were like, how do we, how do we, kill two birds with one stone how do we get close to family but how do we maybe maintain the sense of simplicity and pace of life that we feel one just refreshed by but also two called to as Mm -hmm. people try to follow jesus well and um mckinney kind of kept coming up as the answer as the best answer to that in this area and so since then i really feel like the lord has just kind of brought those things into place i live four blocks from where I work and um and a lot of those things are That's similar cool. which I which is awesome. a gift. Not yeah. something we expected to accomplish, but something we set out to do. So cool. 
Yeah, four kids. Uh, they all look the same. They all sound the same. They're the same size. <laughs> it's just good job. <laughs> yeah, you know, size. I mean, they just don't. They get to a certain spot and then they stop, and then the other ones reach that same kind of space, and then mm. you, from the back, they all look the same. You yeah. know, and so yeah. Just, so give us oldest <laughs> to youngest. Macy is 10, will be 11 next week. Uh, Dylan is 9, Excellent. will be 10 in July. Ivy is 8, will be 9 next week. And then Reese, bringing up the rear, is going to be 7 in August. Wow. He's kind of like... So more than 4. <laughs> dude, it's just nuts. More th- <laughs> No, I, I meant more than four years of age because I flashed you a four when you were trying to think of Reese's age. I was like, "Yeah, is it four? Probably in my head." I was like, "He's four, you know? <laughs> yeah. and you're like seven. Yes. And I'm yeah. like, Oops. <laughs> it's bonkers how yeah. old they get. I mean, like when I think about like how yeah. old Jacob is, Caleb. It's yes, I just 17. Emily. It's just who are these people that yeah. we've somehow yeah, had yeah. a hand in raising. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's bonkers. So yeah. that that reminds me, I got to share this one because when Caleb, when Caleb was about two years old, we were on the bus together, right? Listener, you cannot see but Dave knows Lucky where we go to this. <laughs> Lucky has covered his face. I'm just thinking, his, which, which, which story is this? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So Jeff, yeah. Jeff and Dave were buddies with <laughs> Caleb. They both loved to hang out with him and, and torture him somewhat. They were the, they were the bad uncles um, yes. on the bus. And so <laughs> I come on the bus one day and Caleb is two or three years old <laughs> and they're, they're watching discovery shark week. And I oh, look, yeah. I look on the TV and there's this shark just like, devouring a seal or something and there's blood everywhere in the water and like it's just super gory and my son caleb his eyes are like as big as saucers (laughs) come on the bus i look at the tv i was like what are you guys doing what are you watching like he's like two or three years old like you can't he's gonna be afraid of the ocean forever sure enough afraid of the ocean afraid of sharks to this day So, That's a safety thing. You did it. Yeah. Made so, him, yeah, you did it. Safe. You, yeah, you yeah, protected him from the yeah. sharks to this day. He's like, he was actually like, Dad, maybe I should try surfing so I can like try and get over my fear of sharks. <laughs> so, Does he know it's yeah. from me? Does totally. he know it's from yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered that. I was like, you can, you so can. So, when he's talking to his counselor, he, can, he knows yeah. exactly who to yep. blame. Yeah, That's we good. can. Yeah, Jeff and yeah. Dave, you can, you can take that back to your childhood experience on the bus of, uh, yeah. Of Caleb, if I had <laughs> if I had known better, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> and you guys thought it was hilarious at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, you're like, this yeah. is ah, look, it's awesome. We're showing him sharks. Yeah, um, yeah. Another day, I came oh home and he came back to the bus, and he was covered in tattoos. Thankfully, they were they were sharpie tattoos, not real ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was he was a little older then. He was probably five or six or something. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was awesome. Yeah. You guys had a lot of fun um, with him, <laughs> and he's eighteen now. He's graduating high school this year. Isn't that crazy? That it's yeah. That is it's weird to think about. We you know one of the things Meg and I talk about this all the time. That experience of of that type of lifestyle for so long um, mm-hmm. really really shapes you. Obviously, you know as yeah. all of life does, but. 
Yeah. Like the, what it requires of you to be able to be in that kind of proximity day in, day out is something that I've just continued to really be thankful for because uh, mm. it just, you, you kind of have to set a lot aside. And um, the fact that you can tell that story with a smile on your face just shows that you're a kind and forgiving person. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and I get to benefit from that, but <clears throat> you know, we, it just really is wild to think about like so much time, concentrated time. Um, and then to then to have such a long break and then see people fast forward into the future is just wild, you know, yeah. thinking about him being 18 and yeah, still afraid of sharks. I mean, it's just good that some <laughs> things don't change. <laughs> I think we're all afraid of sharks. I mean, he's not alone in that. Yeah. That's kind of a human well, trait. Yeah, I'm not yeah. not afraid of sharks. Right. Yeah. I think if I get in the ocean, yeah. I'm thinking, how close are they? Yeah. Should I be worried? I've I've been scuba diving with sharks and it was awesome. But yeah, I'm not I think if I <laughs> I think if it was like a tiger shark or a great white shark, I would be less comfortable than like a reef shark or yeah. you know, some of these other sharks. But if you yeah, think about I've, the most famous sharks, those are the ones you should be afraid yeah, of. Yeah. But generally too, little since since we have done tur hashtag turkey facts. On today's episode, hashtag shark facts. Um, generally, ooh, hashtag shark, yeah, shark facts. facts. Uh, generally, sharks attack from underneath, from the bottom. So it's actually almost non-existent of shark attacks on divers, unless they're like dangling meat and start a you know feeding frenzy. But generally, okay. a shark will never attack a submerged diver. It's usually things on the surface because they come up from underneath. And yeah. munch, munch whatever is above them. So, so you could generally, say, just don't tick them off like if your you're jaws uh, poster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're you if you're say, submerged, always yeah. be under a shark. Yeah, yeah. Rub the shark's belly. You rub their belly, and they <laughs> yeah. they, they leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. And then they get when in doubt, came from the sea. <laughs> when in doubt, go under hmm. the shark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. go submerge. But if also, you're sitting on I the heard top, if you catch one by the tail. And pull it backwards, <laughs> it'll actually flood their gills and they drown. It'll drown. Okay. Yeah. All right, you guys. How, how strong heard. do you have to be to do that? That would be really quite difficult. Strong. It depends yeah. on yeah. the size of the shark, bro. <laughs> yep, true. It's true. That's my new life motto, actually. It depends on the size of the shark. Yeah. I like that. Well, I have a sticker like that. that says that. Yeah. Well, I put it away, though. Our listeners can fact no, check don't. our. Uh, our shark <laughs> facts and, and send us some shark facts. If you have a great shark fact, send us a shark fact. Yeah. Hashtag shark facts. <laughs> I want to know what they turn know. up. I know. It's continuity it's in good. our show. Yeah. Someone's yeah. going to have a shark fact that we've never heard of before. That, ha that happened with Turkey facts. It was, Ooh, it was so. fun. Yeah. I hope it maybe did. we get a good shark fact. That would be great. Yeah. Maybe we um, could combine the facts. Something where turkeys and sharks <laughs> overlap. Turkey sharks. That would yeah. Th now we're getting confusing. Yeah. So lucky. Uh, you mentioned you're working four blocks from your house. Where are you working these days? Yeah, I actually work for a church and am doing their student ministry, and that's kind of my pri primarily my main area of focus is student ministry, awesome. and then doing music and stuff um, within the church. And so, um, but that's kind of been. 
kind of off per- peripheral for a while. Um, I did a handful of things, you know, for a little bit that were music related and I keep up with it because I love it. But, um, yeah, my, my main area of focus has shifted almost entirely into, um, teaching and, um, really kind of specializing in an area of like spiritual formation and spiritual direction. And, um, awesome, that, that kind of suits, hopefully suits students because they're kind of at a time where yeah, what they need to do is start importing some really great structures, um, <clears throat> before, before they're adults and they realize that they've created other habits that are less helpful, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's mm. kind of the thing that you mean, has kind you of been like spiritual formation habits, right? Yes, precisely. So it's like, you know, kind of like the, the way that I, talk about this a lot with at least if i'm talking with other youth pastors and stuff is kind of demystifying it's not a bit it's not like a big old secret or a hard thing to figure out but like you know i i always am like kind of troubled at the fact that people will often look back at their childhood or an experience that they had and they'll chalk it up to emotionalism or manipulation which in some cases it is and that's not a good thing but someone will have an authentic encounter with God at a summer camp, and it's simple math that they spent every morning getting up praying, and then they listened to a teaching, and then they ran around with some friends, and then they had lunch with people, and they talked about it, and then they went to bed. And it's like, that is quite literally <laughs> a spiritual formation schedule, you know what I mean, um, for lack of you know better language for it so it's like the reason why you on friday night felt more connected to god than you ever were is because you spent your whole week thinking about him and um that doesn't have to be limited to a week in the summer it doesn't have to be limited to some um you know emotional high although i think the lord's honors emotions and i think he can do that too but we spend a lot of we give a lot of our time away and we give a lot of our power away to things that are just not quite as beneficial and so i'm trying to advocate for that as best i can and um teach that as best i can and um so that's kind of that yeah. and then parenting and and awesome we have chickens <laughs> those three parenting ministry and chickens are about all you have time for yeah. Have you have you accidentally ended up with a rooster yet? No, thank God. It happened to us. We have chickens too. How many and, how many chickens do you have? Uh well, we're down to 3. Are they carrying each other or do you have a predator? Uh, we've had we've had we've had a few different things. Um yeah. some of them got too old and yeah. turned into stew and so <laughs> Okay. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> Magically. Um some of them, yeah, some of them were predators. Wow. Yeah. And uh yeah. So um there yeah. actually there was one I needed to take care of and I really was dragging my feet on it and then a predator took care of it and I was like uh well, you know, yeah. nature did Convenient. its thing. So yeah. yeah. But the rooster situation was did not go very well. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on how to butcher a rooster and uh, it was, it did not go well. <laughs> it did not, not go as, as it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Dude, and it was, 
Yeah. I had was to help a... a guy kill a bunch of chickens. I'm sorry if anybody from PETA is watching this, but <laughs> we needed to kill 300 chickens and it's, it gets to you after about a hundred chickens. Did you use, did you use like the, the cone? Like yes. where you put them in the cone and then, yeah. Yeah. and then. In fact, I'll, and- <laughs> I'll text it to you. I made I, my friend Jake, who's who had all these chickens. I took a picture of the chicken in the kill cone and made a fake Christmas card for his family out of it. And I was like, "You should send this out this year." And he's yeah. not used it. I don't know why. That's but a he, solid, he, lucky move, right but there. But I'll, I'll send it to you. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> Oh, see, this is a perfect segue. This is one of my favorite things about you as a person (laughs) is you are a tricksy little prankster, man. (laughs) I just, and some of the stories we've already told on this podcast are about just legendary prank wars back and forth (laughs) within our band (laughs) and like almost how we expressed our love for each other with just random games and, and just messing with each other nonstop. (laughs) So the one, the one that we already talked about but we need your perspective on now um because we we told this story already but when we were in the atlanta airport and we've been kicking each other's suitcases um (laughs) (laughs) out of each other's hands Uh, and we got to the largest escalator of all time (laughs) and james smacks suitcase out of your hands all the way down the huge escalator down to the lower level like five stories down yeah, and it skids across the floor at like for like super far. And you just with a smirk on your face came walking right up to your suitcase and picked it up. Like it, nothing ever happened. All the business guys are like glaring at you. (laughs) They hated us. Yeah. In a comedy setup, you played, you played straight man. Perfect. You just picked it up and like nothing happened. It was like a Rowan Atkinson scene or something. What was going through your mind when that happened? You know, we, there's so many times in which you, you know, I observe it now as my kids get exhausted, you know, for an hour past bedtime, the mania, you know, (laughs) reaches a new level. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like how being in a band is like all the time is that you (laughs) are always an hour past bedtime. (laughs) And and, everyone's up past their bedtime. No one is never getting enough sleep or food. Or affection, you know, no. we're just deprived of every human need yeah. in, in every possible way, <laughs> constantly, and then and then you're somehow supposed to be looked up to for it. But <laughs> we, right. we, uh, I just I remember thinking about the fact that in the environment where any disruption sets people off to a degree, you know, like. <laughs> if someone's phone has a weird ringtone, so people are like, is that a bomb? This is this, so should funny. I be concerned about my life? <laughs> Let alone a suitcase, yeah. you know, going 30 miles an hour down a four story escalator. Yeah. And then hitting the bottom with a bang. And then, you know, I think at the bottom, I remember at the bottom of the escalator, like, there was either a TSA lady or just a someone who worked in the airport what, kind of observing the whole thing. But I don't remember what I did other than I think I probably just rode the escalator down. So my suitcase yeah. was there for a while before I got to it. You did. You did. You, you I just stood in your spot stayed. and let it take you, which was perfect. And yeah, that's I what I'm saying. No this rush whole thing to get the is suitcase. Like, it's such a funny scene. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember almost just like this like, air of like there. that didn't happen. Yeah, I'll get to yeah. it. I'm but sure your your body language was almost like that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you it, tell it makes me story? want to go back to the airport and recreate it so we can film it. Yeah, we should try <laughs> so we could see this is the way it went down. <laughs> Did you guys talk about yeah. Jane, uh, uh, Jeff's magazine being ripped into pieces yet? Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Did. Yeah. I think, did we, did we cover yeah. that on the podcast already? That's another, that's a good yeah, one. That's yeah. another fan favorite. Yeah. That's another hour that, past that bedtime decision. Yes. I remember yes. I, you know, well, now, just to defend that was myself. was hard on your relationship with Jeff. Yeah. He was like, he you guys were is, really, <laughs> no one, you guys were really close. Yeah. And then that was like, <laughs> that put some strain on the relationship. Yeah. Quote, you're all dead. <laughs> In real time. It was but a blip though. He he forgot that that was in response to him filling my mouth with magazine clippings while I was asleep (laughs) on a plane. (laughs) <laughs> he, had, he had oh yeah he had taken like the sky mall or something which uh, you know has been touched oh, by gosh. thousands of people and he he made little strips of magazine paper and set it on my tongue and he would lay them in your and mouth he laid them in my when mouth. your mouth was hanging open because you had fallen asleep yes. in that Horribly vulnerable plane sleep position that everyone opened. He would just place these little shreds of magazine <laughs> yeah. on your tongue. It was only the rest of the story. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, Alyssa. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, everyone that heard the story so far <laughs> I just forgot thought about that. you were really mean to Jeff. I but was. Now, yeah, but uh, you now know. <laughs> it was my idea. Yeah. He, he started he it. He was the, he, the operator. <laughs> yeah. It was my fault. I anything. definitely retaliated. You know, I'm guilty too. But you know, we're all we're all guilty. I think that's the yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was yeah. That was always my motto: is I don't start anything, but I'll finish it. Right? Yeah, you had a, you had a unique ability to like kind of be in the prank when you wanted to, but not necessarily yeah. be the victim of the prank. I'm not sure how yeah. you managed that. But <laughs> well, because usually I just didn't participate, yeah. and then when I had to participate, I would retaliate so hard that everyone's like, "Yeah, this isn't fun. I'm, I'm not. Well, this just we this did, is not cool anymore." <laughs> we did get to prank you really well one time that I can remember, and I don't know if you've talked about this yet, but there was. Have you talked about this? No, I don't think so. Okay, so we were doing. We had this bit in a song where we would freeze and then you would scream and we would count two beats and we'd come back in. Yeah. And we decided that it'd be funny to not come back in (laughs) the whole band. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So so you were, you were a real good one. (laughs) You were were screaming, waiting for us to come back in, but we could hear you like (laughs) running out of air like yeah <laughs> and stamping and, sta- and stamping his foot a little bit his foot. and then right when you stopped we came back in and it was like a whole moment but it was just such an internal prank because because i think as far as any crowd was concerned you were just showing your ability to scream for a really long time which is <laughs> and then run out of and air. then run out of air yeah. Yeah. So here's something I remember about it too. Here's something I remember. We 
felt like so that was like on prank night of a tour i think disciple was on that tour with us it's very (laughs) and uh anyway we were on that tour and we knew that that would be like the prime spot in our set for other bands to be like oh that would be the perfect moment to prank cutlass and so we knew that that was like prime real estate to try and get to us on prank yeah. night, you know? And I think we like even went around throughout the day and told all the other performers and like everyone on the crew, like, Hey, here's what we're going to do to John Micah. And the whole tour was like fully committed to this moment. And like, as we started that song, I don't know if you they guys remember, but like there. looking out at the soundboard, <laughs> they all kept yeah. like popping up. Like everyone in all the bands was standing there with this grin on their face. Like, Whoa. I think well, and I, awesome, we did ourselves dude. a favor too. Cause I think we protected ourselves unknowingly from whatever they had planned. Yeah. Well, somehow sure. we got through it. Yeah, usually <laughs> you don't prank your own band. Usually you prank the other bands, but in this case, that's true. Yeah, <clears throat> in true but, yeah. cutlass fashion. But I probably, I probably earned that a bit because I wasn't participating in all the games. So it was like, yeah, all right, and we're that's... gonna we're gonna force him to be a part of this right now. He doesn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't. It was done in love, and we Got we him. respect you. And, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. it was good. Now I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. And best of all, it was really. It funny. was so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It was, I was crying yes. laughing. It was so funny. But I, I have to say those kinds of pranks mm-hmm. when it like doesn't derail the whole show, but everybody mm-hmm. that's in on it is like, that was funny. Those are like the sweet spot because you totally get the person, but like the audience yeah, still doesn't even yeah, totally true. know. Like, yeah, they're, they're I think not even one kid was like, happens. "Whoa, I didn't know yeah. you could scream for so long." And yeah. you're that. we're still <laughs> laughing about yeah. it. But that's what yeah. you do when your band doesn't come in for. Yeah eight measures <laughs> it was a long time yeah yeah it was a really so long time. i'm trying to remember i do feel like so funny. and this is just totally off the cuff but i feel like there was a bit of like a water splashing that happened in the bunks on the bus and you guys had splashed me and then i retaliated with like a bucket of water on your bed it was a lot yes <laughs> It I was, was an like, unusable I'm gonna, bed. I'm gonna end this right now i don't want to play a water splashing game yeah so you like you like threw a little like Dixie cup of water on me, and then I just soaked your whole bed. Like just, yeah, <laughs> we're you done. found a garden hose somehow. Yeah, I think I, to I think I took like like full water bottles and just just yeah. drenched it. And you had like sleep in the back lounge or something because <laughs> your bed was completely soaked. You took all the towels, water, <laughs> and you're like, dude, this isn't fun. Like you're not, you're not fun. <laughs> this, <laughs> Another thing I really love about Dave is that as like truly as long as it was actually funny, he had like the best attitude about it. He was like, no, that's yeah. fine. Like whatever the circumstances doled yeah. out to you, you genuinely were always like, if it was funny, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I can commit. Yeah. And you, yeah, you took more, more abuse. Cause you're like, yeah, we, we I, yeah, we were. We were going back and forth. That's that's funny. There's, You're not, a good sport. there's no safe. Always good there's sport. no safe environment <laughs> on the road. Yeah, no rules on the road. No. Oh man, we did not have a safe. <laughs> so it was so much fun, though. Uh, lots of lots of good memories. Um, and uh, what was Dave? Do you remember when we came up with our own language? <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> Ka- Caspier. Caspier. Um, 
There you go. Yeah. We had we an tried. alphabet and everything. I remember <laughs> even labeling all of our cases in it. Because <laughs> yeah, normally, you know, you put little like pieces <laughs> of tape. <laughs> yeah. It lasted for like six days or something. Yeah. Which is a long time. Yeah. I'm amazed you remember what it was called. That's that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. I have very few memories, but that's one of them. Yeah. That's that's amazing. <laughs> Oh, and well, we also had, I don't know if this was a prank or just the way it went, but, um, Lucky was our, our lead, lead bass player sometimes and would love to get like, so I'm just going to brag on you for a second. His ability on bass guitar, like he can play all kinds of stuff. Right. And his ability far exceeded his parts (laughs) that he needed to play. (laughs) So sometimes like he'd get bored and just start like noodling back there on the bass. And I remember so many times on stage, I'd like, just stop. Like I'm in in like a phrase and sing, and I turn around and I glare at you and you would just like, (laughs) you would give me this shoulder shrug, like, whoops yeah because <laughs> the bass back there's like like making red yeah. hot chili peppers sound like boring <laughs> it was it was hilarious but loved having you in the band you and jeff we had a lot of good times together um yeah, over man. the years what's like a mm-hmm. highlight for you we played a lot of really good shows you came in right around the like strong tower um mm-hmm. we were like performing strong tower record and then i think the first record releasing it yeah yeah, and i think the first record you guys were kind of part of the full release was hearts the innocent we talked about the hearts the innocent live in portland show um just pretty cool era there what what's like a highlight from your season there that you think back and go man that was just awesome yeah man what a great question i think um there there's tons yeah i think you know one of the things that's been interesting just as having been now, I think I've been out of the band as long as I was in the band. Um, you know, there's this, there's this kind of, I think so. Yeah. And I, there's this kind of thing that goes with it. Um, where you, you know, as the Lord kind of changes directions in life and as you have to adapt to what's new, you, I I remember finding myself because of the highs of that kind of experience and the privilege of having an experience like that I found myself asking what was that you know what was it for um why why did I get to do that or you know how did that what was what was necessary for me to do that or how, why me and not somebody else or why not still me and not somebody, you know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Yeah. And, you know, cause there's, I was even reflecting, someone was asking me, you know, a lot of times I'll get in a conversation. If somebody finds out that I was in a band at some point, they're like, Oh, you know, my brother's in a band. And <laughs> you kind of have like this general conversation mm-hmm. about playing music in a band and then they'll say, they'll ask a question like, what's the biggest show you've played? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, here yeah. we go. You know, this is where yeah. your brother's band and my band will sound different. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, probably yeah. when we played uh, outside of Amsterdam in a soccer arena and it was 150,000 people. I was like, that's probably the 
<laughs> Probably the biggest one. And it's so unrelatable. It's so yeah. unrelatable. Yeah. People are like, wait, like, what? I literally, who most, are you? Most or conversations the just other, end. It's the just... other way this conversation goes is like, the other way this conversation goes is like, um, oh, cool. Do you play in Portland ever? It's like, Right. Yeah, we yeah, played yeah. in Portland. Oh, you play at like the Hawthorne Theater? Yes. It's like, Doug no, Firth? I never oh, played there. No. You guys are a rock band, yeah. right? Have you ever played at the Aladdin? It's like, no. Where'd we you guys a... play? Moda Center? Yeah. Oh, what? That happens. That happens <laughs> What's here. your band you ever... <laughs> I just, I was in a conversation like this yesterday at a guy who is yeah. an up and coming artist and wanted to pick my brain about something. And yeah. he goes, did you ever play How in Dallas? How many notes Dallas? you could fit into eight bars? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, how selfish were you as a bass player? And I was like, so selfish. <laughs> um, <laughs> so selfish. <laughs> um, but he goes, uh, did you ever play in Dallas? And I was like, oh, yeah, we play in Dallas a few, maybe two or three times a year at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And he goes, oh, well, where would you play? Did you play at Three Links or did you play at whatever? And I was like... I don't know if we ever played there because I don't know what the names of some places. I was like, wasn't going to say no. Cause I actually don't know. Yeah. And he goes, well, where is one place, you know, you played? I was like, <laughs> well, the American airline center. And he's like, what? <laughs> so I, I remember that yeah, one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I remember doing that a few times, but you know, it's such an honor. And I remember ironically, like yeah. the, um, kind of the philosophical dilemma that gets placed on having experiences like this is you either, you can either kind of spiral off and go, I deserve to have these experiences and therefore I should still have them. Or I didn't deserve to have them and they were, they were, and then maybe you resent them, which I've had kind of both versions of that. You know, yeah. I've gone through a lot of different versions and ironically, it was watching um, a, a show. Oh, we lost James. That's okay. Oh, he'll come back. He'll be, he'll be back. <laughs> but it was ironically watching a show. Have you seen Down to Earth with Zac Efron? Uh, just like one episode. I, I need to like go see a okay. couple more. Yeah. 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 It the was good though when I saw it. The yeah. first season was good, but <laughs> he goes to a place in Italy, which is called a blue zone, which is where people yes. live to be over 100. Yes, I'm familiar with the blue zone thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. it's pretty crazy. So he, he goes and he's talking to this guy who's like 100 years old. And this guy's done lots of different things in his life. And he asks him some question about it. And his response was really hit me in the right moment with the right kind of, I had been pondering that question again. And it basically was something to the extent of, I've gotten to do all these things. Like all, each thing that I've gotten to do has become a part of who I am. And that's a really beautiful reason for having had the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And, and in that moment, I, I was able to kind of both distill and place that experience in a way that was both respectful and healthy and admirable and interesting as well as um as well as allowing it to be for a time and not for forever and um and that was really pretty beautiful i think the the lord's been really gracious to allow that to be a significant part of my life but not the only point of my life and um 
and now I can use it to serve people if it's helpful, but it, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't have to. Um, and that's, that's took, took a lot to get there. And it was yeah. a journey that the Lord had to do in me because I'm unique in that. And, uh, I know it's not an uncommon story, but it was for me something that had to be really kind of wrung out yeah. over and over in different ways at different levels. You know what I mean? Um, until it was, it was purified. Yeah. Mostly. Was there kind of an identity piece in that? Because I mean, before you joined our band, you yeah. were you were in seven places before that. So you had been a band member in coupled bands, touring musician, like bass player for quite a few years. And then all of a sudden yeah. now you leave all of that and you have a family now, right? So like yeah. the, you're looking at the world different. And, and I think that was something for all of us as we got older and started having families like the the fun time on the road just got harder. It was harder to yeah. balance that. And you started to look at life in a different yeah. way. And you're like, yeah, that was cool. We played the American airlines center last night and I'm kind of on a high from that, but that hasn't changed any of the real things for my family or for my life and yeah. for all that kind of stuff. And so then you, you start to get kind of pulled apart in that. And then you do leave and then you got to like, you're like, okay, what now? Where am I? Yeah. Who am I? So yeah. What was kind of for you, <clears throat> I guess in that identity piece and what was, what kind of helped you get over that hump and where did you kind of, right after you left, did you find yeah. yourself kind of in like that? There's no floor, there's no ground. I'm just kind of floating yeah. a little bit. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one of the things just as you're talking, it reminds me like a lot of those experiences, even though you're sharing them with a band or you're sharing them with your group or whatever, they're highly individualized. And so my experience out on the road is not makes experience as my yeah. wife out on the road. Totally. And so, and, and because I'm the recipient of a lot of a lot of it, I, you, you, you take for me, I'll speak for me, obviously, I took a weird sense of ownership over those experiences. And um, yeah, so when I first, I knew for sure that I was done doing that profession, I felt that that was a clear, there was a clear end to it. Um, and just in full transparency, the perception I had of myself was that uh, and not necessarily in comparison to you guys, but into the industry in general was that I was a person who had maybe had a good head on my shoulders or I had done this well and had a decent perspective or whatever. Yeah. And, and I think in some cases that's true. Maybe by comparison, I wasn't a total monster, you know, um, <laughs> I didn't like yell at runners and, you know, yeah. uh, demand things, but, um, and I used that as proof to myself that I had done that job in a way that honored the Lord maybe or myself or the responsibility of that type of a quasi fame. But I also found out very quickly that when you spend a decade doing something you love and people and it, and it, and the, you do an hour and a half of, work obviously the work is travel it's not music it's travel but you do an hour and a half of work that you love and then you spend just as long if not longer being told how great you were at it every day of your life it doesn't matter who you are that will 
absolutely have a deteriorating effect on your character. Mm-hmm. And I had not yeah. expected that to be true. And, and so I remember I couldn't have worked any job and been happy without having to come to terms with that very present demon of my own pride or selfishness or however you want to phrase that. But I remember going, having to really, I mean, in all intents and purposes, hit a three-year, for sure, dark night of the soul where I was like, I believe in God, I just don't sense him. I mm-hmm. am confused about who I am. I'm confused about what my talents are for. I'm confused about what my gifting is. And and all of those things. You think this was one of the symptoms of being confused about your identity? I or think these were some I think, of the symptoms of being confused. I think well, I think that identity for for a person who follows Jesus, our identities are mostly unknown to us. And the way we discover them is by asking Jesus to tell us what they are. And I think mm. it's natural to grow up in a world. I mean, I grew up in a home where my music was encouraged. My parents were like, he's a drummer or he's a bass player. And we took him to drum lessons. And that's what you're good at. And you should use your gifts to X, Y, or Z. And, and so we have a Christian version of a secular motto, which basically says that there's nothing worse than wasted talent. We would say there's nothing worse than a wasted godly gift. And we would baptize something that's, I would say, is not biblical, is not the message of Jesus. And so coming to terms with the fact that there's nothing I can do that will secure my identity, no value, no gifting, no use of my musical talent or lack of use, or those are are all things that are secondary, if not tertiary, to my value and identity as a person made of God's image. So I um that really got I really had to do um the Lord invited me into just really uncomfortable and a multi-year work to that end. Um and it was really painful. Uh, I'm really thankful for it though. And it did come at I think it came at the contrast of being in a profession where that was largely unnoticed for a long time for through no fault of anybody. You know what I mean? It's just, it's hard to be a whole person when you, when you have the privilege of doing something you love. And I, I don't think it's, I just think it's a huge responsibility. And so um, I just found myself at the yeah. crossroads of when that's removed from you, even by choice. I think that's where I got confused. As, I was confused. as like, well, I thought I chose this. And God's like, "Yeah, who's in charge? You? And I'm like, well, I thought mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wake up. <laughs> You're not, you know, or not in charge yeah. of the things that you really want to be in charge of. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was, that was really helpful because the identity piece had to be had to be deeper than even maybe well I'm good with people cuz that that could maybe be under my musical ability well you're good with people or you're good in a social situation or you can you can articulate your feelings well um 
I can't remember. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said one of the greatest mistakes is that we confuse, um, you know, charisma for the for the depth and working of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just like, dude, that was me. I had confused I confused real power with with man made power, and um, and and that, that was, yeah, really. That's the answer to the question, I guess. But yeah. So d- does that put you in a place now? I mean, you you look back at it, and and I think all of us have had these questions, right? Of like, was yeah. that just me? enjoying the what comes with success or was God actually doing something really powerful? Was I part of something that was the hand of God moving? Um, or, or yeah, like you said, was it just man-made power? Um, looking back on it, um, would you agree or say it was both? Like, yeah, a bit of absolutely. Both? Yeah. A hundred percent both. Yeah. You know, I think that's the majesty of what God's able to do is like, in the same way, I can't, um, I wouldn't want to take credit for my successes as proof of God's work. I wouldn't want to remove his ability to work through my failure. You know what I mean? Um, that would make God just as impotent. Um, and I don't agree with that. So I, I think there's a real strength in going we pursue and we do our best and we only know what we know and it's our responsibility to ask so that way we know better and better and better but we can't longingly look at the past going what if what if what if because it it gets used and that's like one of the greatest miracles is that it all gets used Mm -hmm. and um Mm-hmm. And it would be reckless for me to go, well, it gets used so I can do whatever I want. But but I also know that that attitude, you know, you guys know where I would go with that. But I I look back and I'm thinking everything, I, I think that's one of the ways in which that lie to the self becomes. So I would say my my discovery of like the ways I misinterpreted what we were doing was my was my own set of glasses that the Lord was faithful to help me work out, but it in no way had anything to do with another person's experience of what we did. I learned this um, in lots of different ways, but like when someone comes up to you and they're, you know, I have the distinct memory of this lady coming up to us. She had gone to our show and only came because she had heard what faith can do like a few weeks earlier and her husband had passed away from cancer. And she just, that was the thing that God had used to draw her back out of herself and her grief. And she wanted to go to the show to tell us and she hadn't left her house or whatever. You know what I mean? Like whatever her, I don't remember all the details, but I was like, that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. So, um, Right. I could say, well, I played on their record or, you know, I don't know. I could, I could come up with something that I did, you know, we did, we did the show and she came to the show, but ultimately it was something the Lord did. And, and for me to both appreciate that moment, but also have the tendency as a sinful person to reinterpret it selfishly and go, and to think that, 
because I'm doing a different job that doesn't have that story, this job is somehow less important, is to run everything through myself again. So that's kind of the, man, just the, both the catch-22 of being a human being, but, but also the catch-22 of God being God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He uses all of it. Yeah. I think uh, in spite of us and for us. I think that people that have never experienced road life and being in a band and, and all of those things, it's, it's hard to really understand how disorienting it is from the rest of regular life that's out there. I mean, everything from your sleep schedule to where you sleep, the food you eat, the, the, the way yeah. you move through life. And then, yeah, like you said, just like night after night doing something and then people telling you, you know, how great it was. But then there's also like the, the critics that are like, you suck. And then that speaks to like kind of the shame in you that really right. knows that you suck. And, you know, and so yeah. you're like, there's this, there's just so many elements to it that are pulling you in all different directions. And then when that just stops and, you know, we, we all took a break for a few years, James and I stepped away for a few years as well. And it just stops. And you're, I don't know. It's like, it's very disorienting, I think, in in yeah. a lot of ways. And you're trying to figure out how to exist in a normal schedule, in a normal life, with a normal family, um, eat normal food. Taco Bell at 2 a.m. is, believe it or not, I don't think they do that in the Blue Zones. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... Yeah. Sleeping yeah, weird hours. Yeah. 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 You know, going, going to bed at 2 and getting up at 4 to catch a flight, like... That's not yeah. probably healthy. Um, like you said, always lack of sleep, always a little delirious. Um, I think one thing that that I did that I learned early, and I'm and I I can vouch for for you guys. You guys are did this too, and and I'm thankful for our group in this way. That I think our band was was true to this character trait, like this actual quality. Um, is that <clears throat> you have it a real great opportunity to be one way in one environment and another way in a private environment in our band. Um, um, I feel like was the same people everywhere as mm. best as we could be. Yeah. And, and I remember mm -hmm. learning really early on that whatever role I get in choosing who I'm going to be, um, it's a lot more <laughs> exhausting to, to pick two people <laughs> and be one here and a different one yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier to just pick one person and stick with it. And, um, and so then it, for me, I, I feel like that was one thing that I learned in the band that I carried mm -hmm. through and is now something that people appreciate about me that I learned from you guys and learned from being in that environment, which is like, mm -hmm. it's just easier to be the same all the time. Um, and if there's a problem with who you are, that's important. Fix it. Um, if you're great, then let people yeah. know. Um, but don't pivot trying to accommodate everybody's preference because it's just too much work and it's, you can't anyway, so get over it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's something that, man, I'm really, really grateful for that kind of was birthed early on in that career. and. I've valued and yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's cool. You know, it's hard enough to learn to trust each other 
and um what it feels like to like be vulnerable with your friends but also know that you're safe with them and i feel like that was something very valuable from our friendships and our time together but you know we're also interacting with thousands of people most days and and we never got COVID. sometimes can you believe that they try to <laughs> Yeah, well, we never got one, chapters one through eighteen missed <laughs> yeah. us. Um, but no, what I was going to say is this: you know, we're interacting with thousands of people a day, and sometimes those people really end up working their way into our lives for better or worse. We've had, you know, great relationships with fans over the years, but we've also had very hurtful and devious and strange, manipulative yeah. things happen to us that legitimately would cause any therapist cause for alarm and they would want to talk to us about this. One story in particular kind of alluded to this a couple times in past podcasts and said, Hey, wait until you guys hear this story. But one of those experiences in particular uh, would be the letters to Gabby phase of our life as a band. And, uh, you know, I wanted to hear about your perspective on that because uh, that story and what happened to all of us as a band, but the the, the f- like literal outcome of the development of the story primarily happened to and included you and your wife. Um, yeah. But uh, you know the lead up to that, just just to kind of set the scene for our listeners. Um, out of the blue, we received an email that I think probably was dished off to us by uh, my wife, Lindsay, who was checking all of our fan emails at the time. And we would correspond with people. We got this email from a young girl. Um, She told us her name was Gabby and she was a young teenager and she had cancer and she was in the oncology ward with some other kids at this hospital. And, and I forget all the, like the, you know, where like, (laughs) middle America or whatever, but I forget those kinds of details, but we started corresponding with this young lady who was telling us some very uh, heart wrenching stories about her experiences in her life with abuse and people abandoning her. And, and now she had cancer and, you know, just how am I supposed to believe in a, a good and loving God when this is all I've ever seen? And it really like weighed on us. I remember you know, personally writing back and forth with this young lady, uh, I don't know, a handful of times, at least six or seven times back and forth, big, long, you know, multi-paragraph, multi-page kind of emails back and forth, just kind of encouraging, sharing from my testimony, offering faithful, loving encouragement from scripture when applicable, you know, just it, it got, we got really deep with this relationship in our band, this was a very, uh, you know, we would all talk about it together. This took a crazy turn, a crazy, crazy turn. I'd love to hear your perspective, Dave. Yeah. I mean, you, wow. Yeah. You remember that really well. I, um, it was a long time ago. Um, yeah, you can actually buy a book about it, uh, to a degree. Um, but, one of the most um, a book about an almost <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so confusing. Um, Wait, yeah, did, the, say, did the book actually come out? They, it's it's a bit well. well let, so let, we're getting ahead. We, we'll get, let there, him just we'll get start, there. Start the story. Sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. telling the story. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, you know, easily 
confusing is almost an understatement <laughs> to <laughs> what this whole thing was. In fact, even even today, there's just so little proof or follow up or information as to what actually was the deal. Um, we have to just assume that there was a lot of like lying or something, but basically what, you know, once, (laughs) once that kind of Meg, Meg, my wife, uh, was kind of just felt like the Lord wanted her to be responsible for continuing and, and developing what was happening there. And that seemed like the best plan of action because, you know, she's a young girl and all that stuff. And it would be, we didn't want to, we wanted to be appropriate with it and all that stuff. And so she kind of began tweeting with, and, you know, lots of different forms of communication with this girl. And, um, over the course of a few weeks, that relationship really blossomed into this girl admitting faith and trusting in the Lord, and and it and yeah. it ended tragically with her passing away. And at one point, um, Meg even spoke to her on the phone, and uh, you could hear her in the hospital room and all this stuff. And uh, she even sent Meg a wow. care package with like scented candle and some things that she liked and stuff like that. And so <laughs> we, that ended. And, um, you know, this girl's story was that specifically the song sea of faces was like one that really stood out to her. Yeah. Are you raising Do your you hand? remember when we experienced, uh, as a band, uh, maybe maybe I've kind of made this more than it was in my mind, but like to me, getting the news that this young girl Gabby had actually died and the cancer had run its course, we as a band were like hours before a concert or kind of like hanging in our backstage room about to like grab instruments and play, and we're like seriously rocked emotionally mm-hmm. by this news cried yeah. prayed together had to kind of say like hey can we delay start like 15 minutes we're this this is pretty yeah. early yeah like, it, i don't know do you remember us. that yeah i i even remember you know i have almost like an out-of-body memory of like playing that song i think that night probably playing sea of faces that night, yeah. that night yeah. and yeah. having like a moment and just being like wow i'm really thankful for the way that that turned out for her um because yeah you know, life is temporary and death is rough. And, but that's not, that's not her biggest problem. It's not her problem anymore, you know, uh, and being really thankful at the same time. And, and, uh, and so we kind of sat with this story, just kind of lingering within our community and, I was sharing it with somebody. I think it was probably Spence Smith is a friend of ours who used to work for Compassion International. And he's like, man, that should be, that should be a book. And I was like, Oh, that'd be interesting. And that conversation developed into, well, you should talk to my friend, Michael Hyatt, who works for Thomas Nelson publishing. It's like, Oh, that's, (laughs) that's interesting. And, um, and so what began as like kind of a, 
an interesting idea turned into very quickly, honestly, developed into Megan working with an editor. And, um, and again, this was not something we were pursuing, but was kind of being encouraged and, and was great. And, um, and, uh, it was moving up. Yeah. Yeah. Just like telling this story. And, um, and so Meg actually was about to sign a publishing deal with Thomas Nelson. Um, we were going over release contracts and trying to make sure that we had every, all of our bases covered. And right as they were trying to do some research to make sure that they had approval to release the names and the content and all the things that go into telling that kind of a story, um, they had come across one of the people who had been involved, uh, had come forward and said that they had made the whole thing up and that Gabby wasn't real. And, um, we're like, can you speak into my good, good ear? (laughs) (laughs) I thought I, I thought I heard you say that you made it up. What'd you say? Um, and, uh, and so there was no, I mean, Thomas Nelson at the time, I'm not, I, no one told me not to talk about this, so I guess it's fine, but they had, they had, you know, hired a private investigator to make sure that they could track down like Gabby's death certificate or where she stayed. And we had some of this information, but we didn't have anything like official or final. The things we did have were Mm -hmm. seemed legitimate, but were impartial. You know what I mean? And so yeah. It was stuff like I talked to her on the phone. She was at this hospital with this nurse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I I spoke yeah, to multiple is, people. Yeah. We we Meg at one point um signed a release of death information thing. And then when we followed back up with it, they weren't willing to release information about patients and all this stuff. It was really confusing. And um and the whole time this lady who Mm. basically was making the claim that she had made it up was not willing to, or wasn't able to give any verifiable proof that she was telling the truth at that point. And it's like, (laughs) so you want us to believe that you've been lying for months by telling us that, you know what I mean? It's like, so we need to believe you on the predication that you're a liar uh so that's interesting <laughs> uh yeah. yeah i guess now we'll start believing you um but we also didn't have much o- other choice because there wasn't enough on the contrary to go well i guess she didn't or right. um to prove the existence so, of gabby yeah. yeah yeah and there were things that were like yeah you know fortunate details like Gabby had to change her name because her dad was abusive. And there's like these things that are like, okay, these could all be fabrications that a person could use to make up a person, or they could be things that just keep us from knowing the real story. Um, And, you know, we didn't, the thing that's most fascinating about it is that they didn't get anything out of us except time you know, we didn't send money. Meg didn't, Yeah. you know, yeah. we didn't like yeah. buy a car for them or send a laptop to Nigeria like Nick did that one time. But <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good story. Nick the keyboard. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. No, Nick to party. He yeah. sold his 
laptop to a fake no, person. I'm referencing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm <laughs> referencing a previous podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We we so, typed into Chat yeah. GPT a uh, movie cutlass movie story, and it it called Nick Departy the keyboardist of our band, Ooh. which was it was it was funny. So yeah, That's Dave, good. I'll previous send episode. you the I'll send you the story that you can read. It's called I Cutlass Unshaken. <laughs> yeah that's good but anyway so where that led us was um kind of an interesting spot because we kind of felt like you know we had been really careful going into this process but there was no way to not feel partially responsible because it was we were the one presenting the story and thomas nelson at that point said yeah, like hey right. like you know we we can't publish this with this kind of confusion around it but here's your fully edited book um and do whatever you want with it and so meg just self-published it it's on amazon um and uh because it was Mm -hmm. like there was things here's the irony of the whole thing it's like you know at first it was like you know one of the things that was happening to meg during this process is that whatever this girl would write in was like pretty demanding. So not, not like she was a demanding person, but she's like searching for answers and she doesn't know what to believe and all this stuff. She's like the quintessential hardest person to evangelize. And so Meg would spend, yeah, Meg would wake up in the morning knowing she would open an email from Gabby. And so before she ever opened an email, she would pray and she would read scripture. And would journal what whatever she was mm-hmm. doing, and by and large, nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, whatever she was reading and praying over were exactly what she needed to respond to each email with to to wow. a, to an impressive level of specificity and wow. and so Meg's perception of this is like fake or not man the lord was speaking to me the whole time and doing things that wow. were so blatantly true so i'm having this interaction with this fake person but i'm also starting off with having interaction with this real person who's more important than this fake person mm. so um <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that'll that'll <laughs> let me ask you a question real quick yeah. real people over fake people <laughs> as meg started jack yeah. you up as meg started writing this book and if we were to read it on uh like if we went and downloaded the book um does she start it off uh like writing as if Gabby is a real person and then there's a spot in the book where like she reveals that it was fake all along because like essentially what we're talking about here is like this term has now become more popular and more established but like we got catfished for like an entire year we got catfished hard and there is like this story is weird and funny and sad but like it is also traumatic like we went through something kind of traumatic and got preyed upon by a person who did this to manipulate us for some sort of reason. And that's that's a lot to have to deal with. I've had to talk about it in therapy to be totally honest, because it made me hate. It made me hate people trying to get us. It made me hate and distrust that 
And it's, yeah, it's, this is a rough story. So yeah, when she was writing, did it start off like that? And did she, does she reveal at all in the book that it's a, uh, yeah, a no, scheme? <laughs> no. In fact, we went round and round about what to do about that. Cause I don't know that there's like a, I'm sure everybody feels that there's a right answer. We do not feel like there was a clear right answer, um, on how to reveal what part, you know, um, the book, yeah. Yeah. The way that we chose to view it was this book is a really great dramatization of a person sharing the gospel with a person who doesn't know God yet. And it can be read like a novel. And um, because by the time the book was finished, none of this was known. You know, it was fully ready to be published um, when when the book was was edited so it was done before we had any so that would have been a chapter that would have been added on at the end yeah it would have been like hey p.s this is fake <laughs> kind of so weird it's 50 percent <laughs> fake yeah. yeah yeah maybe 16 yeah 40 percent fake depending on where the writing falls but you know i yeah but wow. but it is honestly it is very real in the sense that meg's effort at the, you know, to the, to the service of another person who is pushing against the truth of the gospel is absolutely true. Um, and in that sense, it's a hundred percent true. So we kind of just came to terms with that being the reality of the situation is that Meg was, Meg was serving the Lord and, um, and, and that's a, an effort worth celebrating and, and it would be it would be fun to find a way to to reveal more about it. I mean, this is a great way, but um, but there wasn't an official way with that entity to like really wrap the thing up yeah. in a bow and have people go, "I really respect it." Still, you know, it's like you have to talk about it. You have to nuance it enough that people don't hold people hostage for it. But you know. But it is, it's trauma. It's trauma in every sense of the word that a person would go to that length to, to, to deceive us, to to be deceptive. Yeah. 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 And it it makes you not trust people. Right. And I'd say that was one, that that wasn't the only scenario that we had over the course of our career where somebody did something really horrible and untrustworthy. And so you have something very dramatic like that. And then you add on other experiences where other people are really terrible and really, uh, you know, they lie to your face and, and you can, it's really easy to become bitter and jaded and untrusting to everyone. Right. Because yeah. you, you get enough of those experiences and then your expectation is, is, well, somebody's going to try and screw me. Somebody's going to try and hurt me. Yeah. Somebody's going to lie to me. Yeah. yeah. And, and you just expect that everybody I talk to, everybody that I meet, I have to be really careful um, yeah. about. And I ran into this uh, during kind of that season. We started Step Away. I worked at a church for a little bit. And one of the other pastors there was like, man, it's like really hard to get to know you and to be close to you. And I said, man, when nine out of 10 people that come to your gate have been a wolf, like you come out with guns drawn. I don't let people into my gate until I know you're safe because I've had so many people try to get in, into my life 
and they yeah. had nothing but their own agenda and their own thing. And they didn't care about me. They weren't there for me. They, they saw Cutlass or they saw fame or they saw whatever they saw. And they wanted to take from that, lash themselves onto that. And it was really damaging to yeah. me. And so I, I know just even yeah. to this day, because of what I experienced in our career, I have a hard time trusting people. Like I I still do because, and I'm still waiting for people to let me down and which isn't always fair because sometimes people are, I mean, everyone, no one's perfect. Right. But even really wonderful, kind people, I'm looking at them going, are you going to stab me in the back? When are you going to stab me in the back? You know, and it's, it's hard sometimes to let that guard down. And, um, when you've had so many of those kinds of experiences and, and this is a, this is a big one. Um, and this stuff, this kind of stuff does affect you it, it may i don't know if you guys have seen the netflix documentary with uh manti teo the football player from notre dame no um oh yeah he was catfished yeah. uh similar such a crazy story di- different yeah. but similar in that it wasn't even about money and stuff as much as about attention and companionship and these kinds of things and yeah. manipulation and he it it really messed up his yeah. life like it really yeah. affected him um this stuff is yeah. real and it's hard. And yeah, uh, yeah. If and you confusing. Totally. Yeah. If you haven't seen that documentary, you got to check it out. Cause it's yeah. especially I'll with this experience, it it's like, Whoa, okay. This happened to somebody else. And it, it's seeing yeah. it kind of all laid out like that. It was, I remember watching that documentary going, Oh my goodness. I rem that happened. Yeah. To us. Like this yeah, is, you just change a few details. Yeah. And it's, it was yeah. eerily similar, you know, and uh, yeah, there was definitely some different. T- like she was like his girlfriend, and you know, it was it was a weird deal. But yeah, that Sheesh. like I'm gonna try and get your heart and your time and your energy in this false relationship with someone that doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super super strange, and but it really the the victims, I guess you in that case, I guess you know we were the victim of that catfishing scheme um it really does affect yeah. you yeah. um and yeah it's something you got to process and think through and um yeah. yeah and then and even the leftovers of going well now i got this book what do i do with it <laughs> right like this was because that was a that was a dream too that had to die in the midst yeah. of like like you guys were excited about yeah. that there's this cool opportunity we have this amazing story we get to share it with the world it's beautiful and the story is still beautiful and it sounds like that's where you guys just left it you're like it's a beautiful story let's just leave it as a beautiful story yeah i mean that sounds like that was a really clear cut process you know it was there was yeah a lot of confusion um <clears throat> around what was best and what you're supposed to think of promises or you know what i mean a lot of trust um, even, even as you're speaking about like the victimization of things, like, you know, the type of self victimization that would go into that length of manipulating people for attention to me is mind boggling that yeah. you would be so self victimized yeah. that you would yeah. be willing to turn on people you don't know just to feel something is really, um, and I'm more inclined creating a whole world. Yeah, and I'm more inclined to feel compassion for that now um, because I realize the depravity that that requires. And um, and so that's tough because there's always a balance. Like we don't, you know, we don't get to choose between people and God. That's pretty clear. But 
trust becomes a really interesting thing. You know, one thing that Meg and I have talked about a lot, and she's kind of championed this idea really well, is that I'm not called to trust people. I'm called to trust God, mm-hmm. and people will be a part of the way that I serve Him. And um, but that's that's a that's the right sentiment, and that is a true thing. But how that works out in real life is often really complicated and messy because you can't just let anybody into your home and you can't just, um, hand your wallet over to somebody, um, necessarily. Um, you know, there's an element in which we're, we need to be prepared to give all things away as soon as God says, but he doesn't say always do it no matter what, no matter the circumstance. Um, not quite that way you know what i mean so there's still a responsibility and discernment to be had but yeah um but yeah that was that was the best we could do with the gift we were given and i think there's something to that is that i can i can only do so much with what i'm given and the rest is well all of it's in the lord's hands i mean you know i was just thinking about we're going through Mark right now and Jesus feeding the 5,000. And one guy I was reading was saying, if the thing Jesus asks you to do sounds impossible, then you're off to a good start. <laughs> because, yeah. because that's, that's really the that's way so you get true. in. Uh, so, yeah. so I've, um, there's a, there's a, you know, a silver lining of hope in those things that the more impossible they become, not in like a self, a, you know, abusive way of like, I'm going to endure everything I can because that's the way God works. Um, and I'm going to incur a bunch of like problems on my behalf to prove that I'm being spiritual, but to go, man, if this is looking really sideways, then that means, um, something, something is possible that I can't see. And, um, and often that's just enough, you know, to trust the Lord in that. Um, but it's certainly not easy. What that initially do for you and Megan? I think because I think Megan was probably the most invested with the book, and yeah. she'd done co- so much correspondence with um, this fake person. Um, but I, I would imagine when that first happened, so wild. Your, I, I think I would have been like with God. I would have been going, "What the heck, dude!" Like yeah. you gave us this opportunity mm-hmm. to minister to someone. You spoke to me, gave me the perfect words to share in an email and none of it was, none of it was real. Like what was kind of that for you and her as a married couple and invested into this, what was that feeling with God initially? And then, and and then you did say ultimately like you had to come to a place where you're like, well, we serve the Lord regardless. God's in control regardless. Like at a certain point you just have to have faith and trust, but I can imagine that initial reaction being like, what the heck? And God, where are you in this? Yeah. Yeah. The first reaction is always a sense of duty. I did something because you said so. And now the scales are off balance because the result wasn't what I wanted. Um, and that's really a natural spot to approach our relationship with the Lord for sure. And that's my default because mm. I'm used to most relationships working that way. There's a sense of duty. There's a sense of accomplishment. Um, I do certain things and I expect certain results. And it's really hard to reorient to an idea where the relationship is happening for the sake of the relationship and has nothing to do with duty. And so what starts off is what happened with this 
why would you do this? Why would you get reframed as you were spending time with me and I mistook it for a thing you gave me to do? You gave mm. me, you didn't give me a task. You were giving me intimacy and I mistook it for a task. And, um, wow. I, I think that shift is so important. I think it's the biggest shift we yeah. can make as Christians to realize that, um, obedience flows from that place of intimacy and in no way can fully define it because we'll run out of time to do all the things that we could do if we were really connected to the Lord. And um, it wouldn't be about this thing versus that thing. Should I move here? Okay, this is the one decision where I want God to tell me what to do. Should I take <laughs> you know? And he's like, yeah, who cares? You know. Um, uh, but when he's offering, I think that's the best way to summarize it. That's so, good. yeah, I, and I've shared this on the podcast before, but I've, I have my whole life struggled with duty over intimacy, you know, yeah. where I, it's just like, yeah, I can do stuff. Let's, let's do stuff for God and duty, duty, duty. And the problem is, is when you live there, you don't have time for intimacy. <laughs> you know, you're doing yeah. so much stuff and you miss mm. the entire point of that intimacy. So that's, that's really a profound and an amazing way to look at a situation like that and go, mm. no, you know, it wasn't about what I was doing or what I gave or what it cost me. It was the fact that, yeah. that God actually did meet me through the entire process yeah. each and every day. Yeah. And that, that was what was important about it. Right. Like, even though yeah. it was all weird and messed up in the end, it doesn't discount yeah. those moments where God was with you. And then at the end, there's an opportunity for God to meet right. you in a new way and show you new yeah. things. And like you just said, like, yeah, this wasn't a task. This yeah. was you learning how to spend time with me and trust me regardless yeah. of the outcome and regardless of the situation. And that is a hard life lesson. Wow. Yeah. Really because you can't. Yeah. Wow. You can't get to, um, it keeps you from results being provable. You know, yeah. um, you can't, you can't measure, you can't measure intimacy and outcomes other than knowledge, you know, yeah. true knowledge, like real, real, you know, those types of terms. Meg, Meg was in my office when she just walked in while I was answering that. So she wrote down her answer to the question. Uh, <laughs> awesome. She said sure. it was hard to come with to terms with. Yeah. She said it was hard to come to terms with the fact that God can speak through and use people who aren't following him. Um, but it's been a beautiful gift to see his sovereignty mm -hmm. and a reminder that he can use me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we are not in wow, a thank world you for that's sharing only her point of view there. Yeah. yeah, tell, yeah. tell Megan hi. Thank you. <laughs> hi, Meg. She's like smiling in the distance. Awesome. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that is a hard thing to to. Um, I had a friend who always said that, <clears throat> and it always has to be nuanced because you could go way off the rails with this idea. But all truth is God's truth. That you know, the same way Balaam is spoken to by a donkey. There's, there's, to a person who is attuned and familiar with God's voice, they will find that he is speaking lots of places. And that doesn't mean that all things yeah. are reliable sources for his truth, but that he can use places, you know, that are unseeming to communicate things that are always true of him. And, um, and that's, that's refreshing because there's times where you're not 
the circumstances aren't perfect. You yeah. know, you aren't, um, you're interrupted or you're yeah. whatever. And, and you need God to be bigger than just the, the right circumstance where your coffee tastes good. And, you know, the lighting's perfect. And like, you know, Chris Tomlin's playing, God forbid, you know, now it's Phil Wickham. So that's good. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You get all your ducks in a row to have a spiritual moment and God's somehow not there because you've catered it or you're mm. watching something get ripped out of your hands that you thought was God's will. And now you're trying to balance which one was him and he's in all of it. And it's, we just, we're barely picking up on it, you know? Yeah. So hard to reconcile wow. those opposing things where you're like, God yeah. is in this, but it feels so horrible. And I, uh, why didn't he just prevent it? Right. Like why yeah. didn't he just, he's yeah. God. He could have just prevented it. Please do the things yeah. I like yeah. all the time. <laughs> but that's, yeah, it's yeah. not life. It's not the way life goes. Right. Like it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Well, and you, you, when you really, I, for me, when I really push on that idea hard enough, if the goal of what Jesus is doing is building a kingdom of people who will do good. So, <clears throat> you know, that one author I was reading said, you know, the second Adam replaces the first Adam in the sense that Adam in the garden could choose not to sin because he hadn't sinned yet. The people that are born into God's kingdom will choose not to sin because they don't want to. And, um, and so when you think about the people that should be helping create an environment or bringing in a kingdom are precisely people who are acquainted with grief and suffering because they know the cost of it. And so if I'm looking at that, you know, Paul's language to be crucified with Christ or to share in his sufferings or whatever, those things are making me more like him. It's not punishment so much as it is preparation to be a person who will fight for the greatest good, no matter the cost, because I know how evil things can be. And, um, and that's a way different paradigm. Um, you know, when my dad passed away 10 years ago, I prayed for him to get healed a lot. Yeah. And I wondered right. why God didn't heal him. And I, I firmly believe that it was practice. It was it, the disease was going to take him and God knew that, but I was practicing pushing away things like disease, things like dementia in the name of Jesus, because he will create an environment where that's not welcome. And I'm, un I'm unified with him to that end. And I'm speaking the same language and I'm pushing the same, you know what I mean? So, <clears throat> um, and, and that's just a matter of time before I don't, I'm not wrestling that way anymore, whether my life expires or whether he returns either way. Um, it's temporary. So, yeah. um, that's been helpful for me. That's awesome. Mm. Man, well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Dude. It's so fun to catch up and see you, and it's just been it's been forever. So, yeah, thank you man. so much for being here. Before we go, though, we like to do a, a couple things um, just for fun. So, um, James, should we do should we do lightning round questions or best and worst? What do you think here? Okay, we can. Fr I can reframe these like best and worst. Do we want to go best and worst. Lucky, you ready sure. for best and worst? Yeah. Or, yeah. or we Let's can play. do like, okay, yeah, are best we, and worst. Are ready? we going to go back and forth here? Are we going to go first? 
Okay, so sure. here's the rules, Lucky. Like, James is going to give you a best and worst question. I'm going to give you best and worst question, and it's got to be like quick answers as best as you can, right? Like, so don't okay. don't overthink it. Just like boom, here it is. Okay. All right, James, go. Okay. Best and worst. Okay, best and worst. You got to rank these two: Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Brad Pitt best, George Clooney worst. Okay. Is that am I doing it right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, one, one for one. Yeah. Texas, best and worst thing in Texas. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, best uh, uh, cement. cement. <laughs> best cement in the country. Um, what a burger. <laughs> um, uh, we have an In and Out now. That's been there. You awesome. go. There's a best. Yeah. There's a That's best. best. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a Whataburger fan, so I'd probably put them the worst. Don't tell your Texans that, though. Your fellow yeah, Texans. I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> do you at least drink Dr. Pepper? I do. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that one. Okay, yeah. cool. Dr. Pepper, what's worst? Uh, Coke Zero. <laughs> it's not but good. No, it tex- it's worse in Texas. We're on best and worst Texas. Oh, well, yeah, LaCroix. Yeah. LaCroix is the worst everywhere. I think it's the worst. <laughs> hipster fad we've had yet i mean it's just uh, i like it tastes, it tastes <laughs> okay it tastes like fake stuff it tastes like <laughs> but <laughs> have you had spindrift i have yes see i i can get behind yeah. some spindrift <laughs> okay okay yeah I'll track it. Okay. just out of so comparison that, that, di- that yeah, diverged yeah. that that diverged into best and I'm worst sorry if I uh, club soda, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's all yes. good. No, no, yeah. no, that's okay. That's okay. I've okay. So I've got one best and worst thing you've pulled out of a cereal box. I want to see if you remember. <laughs> you a already know the story. answer to this. Yeah, <laughs> best best thing I pulled out of a cereal box is an actual bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. The worst thing I pulled out of a cereal <laughs> box was a diaper. <laughs> in a honey nut cheerios box that's right i totally what? forgot about that well Give shoot that now that needs an explanation i we i totally forgot about that but yes so ryan and robin shrout had, ryan former guitarist of cutlass yeah their first baby out on the road and robin had changed her diaper and the only thing that she could set it in was an empty box of honey nut Cheerios. She put it in the box <laughs> and I think attempted to set it somewhere to be thrown away. But when you pick it up, it feels full because there's a huge diaper. In it. <laughs> so it got put back in the cupboard and I pulled down a bowl I put it on the counter. I opened the bag and then this thing tumbles out. It literally was like, yeah, it's like the opening scene of Indiana Jones. Oh. This diaper, yeah. Things that happen on a tour bus. Oh, that's so great. I just remember, I was like, I'll, mm. I'll just eat something later. Speaking of trauma, scarred for life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you that still, was worse than Gabby. Yeah. Can you still eat Honey Nut Cheerios? I love them. Yeah, okay. it's some, I was protected from that oh, affecting... Good. Good. My love for Honey Nut Cheerios. Thank good. God. Okay. Um, you lived in Oregon for a lost, lo- long time. Best and worst thing about Oregon? Ooh. Oh, man. You know, it's... I Every once in a while, we'll have a rainy day here that's very much like a Portland rainy day. And I'm like, you know, every once in a while, this is the best thing ever. It's so <laughs> soothing. Yeah. 
But after eight months, you're like, somebody <laughs> stop this. Too much. Yeah. This is enough. We've had enough. Yeah. Um, That's the when, phase we're in right now, buddy. <laughs> oh, it's so tough. And we, when we, we live downtown, which improved that a lot because it's hard to get in the car and go anywhere on days like that. But it still wasn't mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. We just, we just couldn't hang in there long enough, but man, what a beautiful place. It's beautiful because of that. So it's like yeah. the best, the best thing is the worst thing. All right, so I got another one. I'm sure this one will have some really great memories attached to it. Best and worst recording experience. Best, so you can find <laughs> like best place we were at slash yeah. worst place or just funny oh, things. Gosh, I guess so I many think, best I and worst. I can guess a couple uh, of both best and worst. Actually, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I had a. One of my favorite worst ones was really just a funny mistake one, which was we were playing, we were recording <laughs> at Big Fish in San Diego. Do you remember this? Yeah. And oh, yeah. we are just jamming out. <laughs> and I was like sweating. And I was zone. just, yeah. And I don't, I'm not a guy that jams. Like I'm the most disappointing musician because none of my email addresses say bass guy. <laughs> like, I'm not going to come over to your house with an amp and jam. Like I'm so, I'm not a fun guy to have as a musician friend, but I, bass guy, six, eight. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, Treble man. but we're jamming, we're jamming to this song. I think it was probably the rescue or something. And I'm just like in the zone and I'm like, can play everything and i you know i'm just it's exhausting <laughs> i'm playing so hard i'm exhausted and we get to the end of the song and pete kipley comes over the you know the talk back and he goes wow that was really great man you guys killed it you know he's super encouraging and then he goes dave will you plug in your bass this time <laughs> And I had done a three or four minute song, not connected to anything. I just wasn't even plugged yeah, in. And somehow I had like yeah. visualized, <laughs> I could hear, my, I thought, yep. I swear you I could hear myself. It. <laughs> yeah. It was one of my best takes ever that no one ever gets I'd to also, hear. I'd like to offer a retraction real quick. A couple moments ago, I shouted treble man, which makes no sense. Because you're, you're the bass, bass player. Bass. Yeah. Well, it's an ironic class. nickname. So I'm it's offering. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd be a, an ironic. I'd be like calling me Big Dave. But doesn't, or, you know, doesn't yeah. every bass player wish they had a little more treble in their life? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my okay. thing, that's probably my worst, best moment ever recording and then um man but we had a lot of really great i think one of another funny one was anything that ever happened at supernatural in portland because jeff bought drumsticks that were too long so the studio owner cut them with his chop saw and cut them too short (laughs) and so (laughs) and then the the day we get there this is a great one the day we get there we're paying to use this place the day we get there, the only way into the studio is like 24 wood stairs that he's <laughs> lacquered that we're not allowed to walk on. He's like, don't go down there. I lacquered it. It's like, well, then what are we doing here? Why? Um, why would you do that? Why do you yeah. hate us? You know? Um, yeah. 
but we also had like, I mean, Reed Shippen engineered that record. Um, and yeah, we just had the there. dream team of like music professionals and recording and Abbey road was like bonkers. That's like the highlight of almost yeah, everyone's musical career. And yeah. the fact that we got to do it too is For just sure. nuts. And, um, I remember, um, uh, <clears throat> we had finished a, a night of recording in, in Portland at supernatural and to celebrate, we went out to dinner and I offered, uh, PCG. Reed, yeah. I offered to buy Reed a drink just as a gesture, a kind gesture. And I don't know anything about alcohol, so I don't know that they can be very expensive. And he's like, seriously? And I was like, yeah, get, get whatever you want. Cause I'm thinking, you know, I've had a Roman Coke once in my life, you know what I mean? And that was like $6. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm like, what, what, what could it hurt for me to buy this, this distinguished educated man a drink? And, uh, <laughs> he ordered like an $80 shot of scotch. And I remember oh, no. having to transfer money Good from my hand. savings account to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is the worst decision i've ever made um but that was really That's really funny amazing. but ironically so the other day i was watching too. uh rick steve's travel show it's like yeah. a guilty pleasure and he was in london and he actually uh stayed at the place we stayed at when we stayed in london oh wow and so Crazy. he's like hey here's a breakfast room on mm, top over in yeah. chelsea uh, uh south kensington I think it's in South Kensington, but that's okay. where Dave Hill told Jeff that he looked like John Candy, which is a, another great story. John Candy. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's an inside until we tell the yeah. story, but, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, yeah that was, right. so I was like, Oh my gosh, I've actually sat, I've had breakfast in that room. That's so amazing. It's like, I that's felt cool. really special. Super yeah. cool. Yeah. All yeah. right. Last one. We'll close on this one. Best and worst cutlass song. You won't get in trouble. Oh Go. man. <sighs> They can be to play it just enjoyed whatever, whatever you want. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of twist the worst song to the worst mistake we made on a record. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I think my favorite song, Loud. James <laughs> disease and the cure. That's I your think favorite. Disease and the cure might be my oh, favorite song man. that, awesome. or, uh, yeah, I, I remember when we cool. were working thanks, that man. song out and you were showing it to us and each time we'd get to a new section, it was usually me because I'm, you know, super opinionated. I was like, Oh, what if we, and you're like, hold on, there's more. And then you play a new part. I'm like, that's killer. What if we did? And you're like, there's more. And then you the kept opera. going. Yeah. I was like, I was like, how many parts did you write for this song? Um, and you wrote all of them and it was, it was awesome. But the, the worst, the parts. he wrote every part. Um, this, I'm going to look this up because this cracks me up. I, I showed this to somebody once, but it's on Hearts of the Innocent. Uh, there's three songs all in a the row. three songs in a row. That all start the same <laughs> I way. Know exactly what you're talking yes. about. Yeah. It was yeah. the track listing mistake of a, of a lifetime. Wow, dang it. Okay, hold yeah. on. Let me get to Hearts. Let's see if I can get there faster. Me. We're racing okay, here now. Okay, I know we've been we've been doing this a long time. Okay, so I think it's mistakes push me away in changing world all in a row. Okay, here we go. That's mistakes. Push me away. 
<laughs> it's like, what? It's what were we yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I don't know how Aaron Sprinkle didn't catch that one, but yeah, yeah. But you only discover it by skipping through the song fast. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I don't think mm-hmm. I. I think so, I think you or somebody showed and it to me, like, and I was like, heck? "Oh shoot!" Like no, somehow none of us caught it, and then all, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so no. funny, yeah, so funny. And it is, it is easy to get in a rut when you're working on music for a month and a half straight. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> like, you can't tell anything. You're kidding yourself if you're like yeah. listening to mix five and you think it sounds different. You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. we don't know what's different remember, about this mix. Remember that whole thing we operated after bedtime all the time? Yeah. Yeah. That's our excuse. It's like <laughs> yep, anytime you have it. a monitor, anytime we had a monitor engineer, I had this like test where you ask for them to change something in your ears and they give you a thumbs up and you're like, did they change it or are they humiliating me? And I think they changed it. That's like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is some card that they hold Always gotta have your over guard us. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. People are evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on Luck, that note, go, what a great way to end. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being here. Yeah. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. Um, for all the listeners out there, love you, man. don't forget yeah, to send dude, us an email too. with your hashtag shark facts. We want to hear your shark facts. You can send us an email. That's um, exciting. Yes, I, I can't wait to see what you guys send in. Uh, we'll post a, uh, an email in the in the comments or in the uh, description there, so you can uh, shoot us an email. Hashtag shark facts. I can't wait. It's going to be great. But lucky, thank you so much. It's and been we'll an honor have to have you yeah. back to have the other guys yeah. on and have yeah. you back and have some discussions Ooh, about. Yeah, all those yeah. We, we may need to have you and Jeff on together to talk about your little uh, San Diego or California uh, arrest on the sidewalk story at that studio where the cops came. I'm trying to remember yeah. that. How can you remember that one? Okay. Yeah. For another see. time. Uh, yeah. It'll be good. Or, It'll be or good. Jeff's Night Terrors. That's a good one, too. Yeah. That's yeah. always nice. Oh, yeah. Yes. We got all yeah. tease him about yeah. that. <laughs> yes. Lots, lots of more good stories to share. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks Dave so much, man. Lutkin yeah. Holter. Thank Everyone you, guys. Loves you, buddy. Yep. And uh, thank you guys for listening here on Rockin' a Hard Place. We'll see you next time. Bye.